you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Andy Labrum. Welcome to the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Now today I've got the absolute pleasure of talking to Tracy Earl. Now Tracy is a published author, but prior to that, she was a police officer for 26 years and uh, she had to uh, retire on ill health uh, after 26 years due to a diagnosis of, of PTSD. And she's just gone on to do some amazing things. And what we talk about within this episode is actually the whole process of from that initial thought, that initial seed of an idea, all the way through to uh, becoming a published author with an amazing story for young adults that I think without a doubt has got film written all over it as well. So uh, I really hope you enjoy this as much as I did recording it. And uh, let's go over to Tracy now. now. Just before we head over to the interview, I just want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by the brilliant Motorsource Group, who like Blue Light Leavers are very proud sponsors of the Emergency Services Football League. Now I've met CEO Steve Thornton a number of times now, and I've also interviewed him for the podcast. And I've also met the team and I've been up to their head office. And they're just a really lovely bunch of people who are genuinely doing the right thing and doing their bit to say thanks. Now, Motorsource Group offer genuine new car discounts to serving and retired emergency services personnel, including police, NHS, fire and rescue and prison service. They're completely independent, offering a full range of makes and models and are rated excellent by their customers on Trustpilot. They also work closely with the Police Federation and with NARPO, and they deliver direct to your door. I promise you, you will make savings. Now, to find out more, go to bluelightleavers.com forward slash partners. That's bluelightleavers.com forward slash partners. Hi, Tracy. It's fantastic to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us on the Blue Light Leavers podcast. And uh, I'm really excited about this one. It's going to be a goodie. Hi, Andy. Yeah, thank you for having me. Not at all. <laughs> and um, so it'd be really helpful if um, you could just tell us a little bit about you and a bit about your uh, your background. And then we'll, we'll talk about um, what it is that you're currently doing. So, and let us know a little bit about you and um, and your policing background. It'd be fantastic. Okay. Um, well, I joined I joined the police in um, 1995, uh, so long time ago. I was a tender age of 22 at the time, and um, it was uh, an ambition of mine. My grandfather, my mum's dad, was a police sergeant in the Liverpool Police, in the Liverpool City Police. And um, I'd, I'd sort of wanted to follow in his footsteps, I guess, and wanted to join the cadets initially, but mum wasn't over keen on the whole thing. Um, so she, she wanted me to go and be a secretary. <laughs> And get it, get get it, get a get a decent safe job. So, um, so uh-huh. I I did, I I did. I went off and got some qualifications. I was a secretary for a while, um, but the sort of burning to join the police never left, and I finally did join the the regular force, and served twenty six years. Wow, incredible! And um, can you tell us a bit a bit about what you actually did in the job? All sorts, really. I, I initially did, um, I started based in a city area, which was great because um, as, as sort of probationers in those days, we were called, um, you, some some were, some would have tutors that were um, neighbourhood officers. Some would have tutors that were area car drivers. My tutor, I was lucky enough to have a tutor as an area car driver. So I did and saw pretty much everything in the way of dealing with different jobs, you know, in my first few months, really. Mm -hmm. Um, 
did the city policing side, went on to do the rural side of, of policing. Um, and in the um, and then after that, sort of, you know, looked at specialising um, and went into, I was, a, I was a police trainer for a while, training the new officers, did a bit of that um, for a few years and then um, had uh, started having my family. So in, in those days, being part-time trainer didn't really work very well. So I went towards investigations, which was my other love in the job. Mm-hmm. Oh, incredible. Um, and yeah, sorry, go on. What, what else? Yeah, no, and that, that, that was pretty much where I stayed in various investigations departments, mainly public um, public protection and um, public protection investigations, vulnerable adults for really the, the majority of the rest of my service. Oh, incredible. And um, so what happened in terms of, of um, you know, why you left policing? Um, it it all took its toll over the years as it does and there was various things um, various things over the years it wasn't one specific incident that led to me being um, diagnosed with PTSD and had a lot of anxiety issues um, that that, that kept coming up Um, and you know, I would I would go through the whole occupational health um, process. Uh, would get some counselling, get some medication, go back, and you know, I I, I won't lie, I I push myself <laughs> probably mm. way too hard sometimes, um, and I certainly did in those days. I wanted to give one hundred and ten percent to mm-hmm. everything, and um, it did take its toll, and it, it it ended up with me being unable to function really at home at work, as a mum, as a wife, um, it, it took its toll on every part of my life, I would say. Um, and in the end, I um, I was put into a department that um, was like a call centre. Um, it wasn't, it was during an operational change programme, it wasn't a move that I would have chosen. It was a move that was, um, say, forced um if, if that you know it, it really isn't an appropriate it is an appropriate word um and it, and it wasn't a pleasant environment and that really um because it wasn't what I would have chosen to do that really did start taking its toll on me and everything kind of snowballed quite a lot um towards the end of my service um thanks to a uh, my amazing federation rep um i did end up on a project team that i absolutely loved um was was a a great atmosphere it was a great team and um we were doing some fantastic work with the new officers coming into the force um but i couldn't go operational again by that time so obviously in this you know in the current climate if you can't go operational it is reasonable that that, that you you know you're going to be medically retired ill health retired at some point um which i was yeah i know that was something you you said previously you found incredibly difficult Mm. and um but if we just for those that are maybe um going through a similar process not so much from an ill health perspective but actually Mm. there may be signs and symptoms or or um you know do you mind me asking how maybe that manifested itself, you, you, you know, and how you started to recognise that things weren't right, just in case people listen to this and they might feel they're in the same position. Yeah, um, well, like I said, I, I pushed myself um, 110% um, due to experiences I had in my early service. Um, I 
personally became a complete perfectionist. I was absolutely determined that I was not going to be criticised or, or, you know, laid open to criticism about my work again. And um, I, I was a total perfectionist. Everything had to be spot on. I, I worked ridiculous long hours. And I would have to say I didn't see it in those days. I, I couldn't see it. Um, what what did happen to me is, and I would, you know, I would hope that it, it doesn't sort of happen to other, a lot of other people, but I think it does, is I had to hit rock bottom before I even could look at the fact that the way I was living, the way I was doing this wasn't working. Um, and, and that's not done an ideal place to be in um, because, um, you know, other things in my life, other parts of my life were failing too. Um, and it was a really difficult time. I think if I'd have seen the signs earlier, then, you know, I was I got on this spiral, this real constant spiral of, like I said, it was occupational health. It was six sessions of counselling, get some medication, take some time off, come back when you're ready. Um, and I think at some point, you know, you, you, you've got to start having that awareness and that consciousness within yourself to say, there's a reason, there's another reason that, that this is keeping on happening. It isn't because I'm a failure. It, it's just too much. And, and you know, I, I started to look around for other ways of dealing with, um, with what was happening to me. And what I found were various um, personal development modalities, various um, therapies. I'd always been very interested in um, more alternative complementary health and therapies. I didn't want to just be taking endless amounts of medication and have it just increased and increased and increased um, because there's nowhere to go really with that. So I started looking um, a lot sort of deeper with various therapies and that and it's not an easy path but um yeah it, it did it, it took me a long time um to actually realize that what was happening was the right thing I, I felt like such a failure such a failure that I was losing I was losing this part of me that had meant so much being a police officer the police family you know my warrant card the everything about it um and it did take a while to get past that. Um, and, it, and it's it's not easy. It's not an easy route to take, but it's, um, you know, it's a it's a fairly brave route to take, I think. And, you know, I like, I like to sort of say that really, I'd say that to anybody. Mm. You have to, you have to have a, you have to have the guts to look at, really look at what you're doing that's not working. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's incredibly difficult. And, um, and the, the process itself could be, very challenging mm. as well. I'm not sure how you found it. And it sounds like you had some amazing support and um um which is great to hear. But the actual process itself um can be quite challenging. Do you know from you know roughly from start to finish how long it took? Um uh when I was diagnosed, I was first diagnosed with PTSD in um around June 2017. I think um, I was already struggling quite a lot with with physical um, kind of physical illnesses and conditions that were absolutely a, manifest, a manifestation of the stress and the anxiety that it was all you know taking its toll. Um, so after this kind of spiral of really anxiety, panic attacks, this this sort of thing over the years, that culminated in the diagnosis in two thousand and seventeen. 
Um, I was then put on restricted duties, um, which got worse because of the environment that I was working in. Um, just gradually got worse over the next few years. And I think the um, the ill health retirement process was started in and around, it must have been the year that we went into lockdown with the uh, the, the whole the whole COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> couple of years, um, which didn't really make it a lot easier, mm-hmm. to be honest, because I was off long-term sick. We were in lockdown, you know, um, and, and that was a whole different challenge for all of us. So, yeah, yeah then, then it started and I think, it, you know, went on and my last day in the force was the 10th of March, 2022. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it did, did take quite a while, didn't it, from, from that initial diagnosis yeah. through to, to a health retirement and that, that's, that's lengthy. The, um, yeah. I know, uh, so we have uh, John Edmonds, who, who is, um, I'm his my right-hand man, he's he, incredible yeah. guy and he's, he's doing some amazing work and John's been great I know he's been in touch with and he's, he's been through the process as well and he mm. very openly talks about um, you know how challenging it can be and and the fact that it can take such a long time to get to a point and then you get the decision and you've got four weeks and you're off and yeah. that in itself is actually really difficult to, to cope with yeah it is and um, because it is like you say it's such a build up it's such a, a, a huge amount of of paperwork process worrying you know um everybody is in very usually will be in very different circumstances financially family um relationship wise mm. everybody's everybody's in different circumstances and everything else that's behind that and behind you that you're coping with is going to take an um have an effect and take its toll too so i think that that's where you know i know a lot of people who've who've really really struggled i was lucky i had support um mm. but it was really tough it was really tough um all the way through i would say mm. Mm. um is there any advice and guidance that you give anyone at this point you know for for looking back and anyone that's going through or recently gone through the ill health retirement process? Is there any advice or guidance that you give them? Um, lean on, lean on people. Um, you know, it, uh, let people let people help, because um, I'm I'm a bit notorious in myself for, still for wanting to cope all on my own, and I am the strong, um, you know, <laughs> strong and capable, and and I, and I still do that, and I have to pull myself back and say, you know, it's all it's all right to ask for help, and it's all right to lean on people, and it's okay to accept that support. Um, you know, you're not you're not being a burden. There's there's going to be people around you who want to help, um, and and there are people in the job too. I had an absolutely amazing federation rep. She she was a huge support to me all the way through, um, and you know she she helped me a lot with the whole process. And she was always there to listen to my oh no, this has happened now. <laughs> you know, not really coping with it. Yeah, but don't don't do it alone because it it doesn't help. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Tracy. That'd be really helpful. People, I have no doubt whatsoever. Um, when you left, what happened? Well, <laughs> having had my last sort of final interview, and I was really nervous taking all my uniform in and the bags and giving my warrant card back. And um, I had a really supportive supervisor at the time who um, did my exit interview. Um, 
And I remember driving out of headquarters and thinking, oh, well, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I'm not in floods of tears. And actually, I had the best night's sleep that night that I'd had for months. Wow. <laughs> so I think it, it was just it was just a wait. So as much as I didn't want to go, I felt a failure. I was felt like I was losing this whole part of me and whole part of my life. Um, it really surprised me, the, the relief that I felt, that it was like a, a weight was suddenly lifted. And I think it's not until you're out of a situation that you realise the toll it was actually taking on you. Um, yeah. And it took a while. Yeah, it mm. did take a while afterwards, but but I think that initial relief that that was so unexpected and so huge was like, okay, that kind of did carry me through from there. And things like, you know, obviously you'd, you'd been there for 20 odd years. Is it 26 years? 26 years. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Um, and um, so how did you cope in terms of things like come to terms with, you know, you'd always been known as, you know, the, the police officer and doing the type of work that you're doing is incredibly challenging work as well. So how did you cope at that point? Or was it just, you know, you were ready and that was it? It wasn't an issue? Or was mm. that initial transition a bit of a challenge for you? Um, it is a challenge. I think it's it's very strange. You, you, um, for me personally, I, I realised how aware I'd always been of everything around me as a police officer, you know, because you're never off duty, are you? You've, you've, mm -hmm. you've got, you've got warranted powers and you're expected, like we're always told, you know, if you're on public transport, if something happens, well, you have a, you have a duty. And I think as an officer, the majority of us wouldn't walk past something like that mm -hmm. happening and, um, and seeing things happening. And then all of a sudden I was like, that's not, it's It's not that I don't care. It's not that I wouldn't help out, but actually it's not a requirement anymore. Um, so that that was a bit strange. Um, and I had had all this kind of stuff going on in my head about what, what I didn't need to do anymore. And, um, but still I, I did feel like it was important to talk about it. And um, I'm lucky I've got a very close group of, of friends um, and we we went through the majority of our service together, um, sometimes in the same stations and departments mm. and sometimes not. But, um, you know, we, we've all now, um, bar one, um, retired or been medically retired um, and left. So I was really lucky to have that, that, that yeah. those, you know, my friends I can go to and sit down and have a chat and we can do the, oh, do you remember this? Do you remember that? You know, and, and we can sit and we can we can sometimes look back with the rose-tinted glasses and, and have a, you know, yeah, those were the days type of conversation. But at the same time, yeah, it's good. It, it's a relief to be away from it in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. And, and I don't think we should feel guilty about that, you know, if... Yeah. The, the I don't think it's I don't think you realize until you leave the impact policing actually has on you um and um you know I I, I you know public about this I was, I was very lost for a little while but actually the the relief and it really genuinely felt like a weight had lifted and I had a great career you know I had an amazing I was I'm really fortunate I look back on my career and I was I had a great time and um you know, some amazing roles and, and was incredibly lucky. Um, but I still felt like a weight had lifted and it's, uh, it was actually really nice to, to be in that situation. But, um, um, so 
What did you do from that point onwards? Then um, I, I did try a couple of, um, of, of jobs in different areas, um, which I, I didn't find particularly easy. Um, but the one thing that had carried me through um, the lockdown and the whole, you know, the long term sickness was um, I had started writing, um, well, seriously writing a novel that had been um, in my head for many, many years. And um, I'd, I'd had sort of little bit, bits of goes at writing it over the years and given up and had writer's block and given up. And um, but in that time, I found it was really important that I needed a creative outlet and, and some sort of um you know, get, to get away from the stress of the whole thing. And and that for me was, I, I found um, my writing again. And so I, I had um, a novel that by the time I was medically ill health retired and I actually left, um, had just been accepted by a publisher's to wow. be pub to be published, so that's that's kind of been taking up a lot of my um, time since then, oh, <laughs> and, continu- and continues to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is that is stunning, and um, and so you said that it'd been in your head for a while. So, what sort of time frame are we are we talking here? <laughs> We're talking nearly twenty years, I think. <laughs> I saw that, that on long. one of the pages. Yeah, I did actually <laughs> yes. see that. It's, uh, that. That had been there for a while. So. Yeah. Um, was it actually was it that period through COVID that that you actually sat down and and started writing actually or was it that it happened prior to that and you just you know managed to really focus during that period? I think seriously writing it, yes. Like I said, I'd I'd had a few goes at it and um, I had I'd had some um, not books but articles published on on a on a website and another author's website many years before. So I'd I'd had a, a small amount of experience with with being published as such. Um, but this was a story that started, like I said, sort of many years ago, um, and and it, it, it developed. It developed a lot more. So even from when I'd first had goes at writing it um, to when I started in COVID times, um, it had changed and I'd changed and my style of writing had changed. And I didn't even really think I could e- even write it as a, as a short story initially. Um but when I got into it and it, it sort of started flowing and I had the time then to do it, you know, uh, I remember at about the point of 70,000 words into the book, I realised that it wasn't even actually destined to be one book. And it's now the first in a series of three books that, that the wow. publishers have taken on board. <laughs> um, Incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I love that. And that's why I was so excited to speak to you about it, because I just... Love the fact that obviously, you know, you've been through such a tough time during the job and actually going through that process as well. But something so good has come out of it. And if it's okay, Tracy, if we can mm. we can talk about because I I have absolutely no doubt that there will be people listening to this that have got a book inside them and would love to to write a novel of some sort, particularly with some of the experiences that we have as well, I think. So yeah. It'd be really helpful and really interesting to understand that literally from scratch. Um, you know, when that first idea popped into your head. Yeah. And then if we can just sort of go through the process of how you go mm. about doing it. And um, and then we'll talk about how you managed to get published and that sort of thing as well. That'd be amazing. Okay. Uh, if we well, start I mean, from literally from that, uh, that initial the, the first idea. Of an idea, yeah, that'd be incredible. 
that that seed of an idea, and this is something else that for for me and my family are very is very special, is that that seed of an idea came from my late mum, who actually um, came up with the idea of uh, some of the main fantasy characters in the book because it's a fiction fantasy um, novel for young adults and above. There's apparently a lot of adults who are enjoying it. And can we say the name of the book as well, please? (laughs) Oh, uh, the book's called Darkness Rising, and it's the first book in a series called Children of the Light. Incredible. So I love that. So please, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think it's important that people people understand and know the name of the book as well. So yeah, yeah, that initial idea then, and uh, and obviously the fact that it can be a late mum's lovely. Came from my late mum, and I remember her and my younger sister um, talking about it when when we were when we were younger and and discussing what these characters would do, and um, and it, it stayed in my head. And I had this initial idea, um, obviously on and off for years. I remember telling my my own children um, stories about these characters and and bits of the beginning. The, the, the beginning bits of the book, you know, the beginning stages when they were younger. And hence the, um, I mean, I, you know, it, took, it went on for years, like I said, and hence the, the dedication of the book is actually to my children, Becky and Jamie. I told you I'd finish it one day <laughs> because I remember, <laughs> I remember they always said, we know, we know, mum, you'll finish, you'll finish it one day. Um, <laughs> so then I, I started writing and I think I, I never, I never had the, um, uh, the 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 idea that it was going to be a published book. I didn't have this this kind of uh, you know wish and and vision that I was going to be a famous author. I'd actually wanted to be an author, a published author, from when I was a, well very young, really, when I first learned to write. Um, and I would I watched cho- um, programs like. Anne of Green Gables and Little mm. Women and you know the mm. female the female author characters. Um, so I didn't have that. I think what I really wanted was to be able to finish that story and get it out of my head because it was a whole by that time it was a whole world. You know, I'd built this entire world in my mind. And it was quite busy up there, you know. <laughs> There's a lot going on. <laughs> there was a lot going on. And Ideally, I just wanted to finish it. I wanted to get it out of my mind and on paper or, well, on the screen, as you know, these days. Um, And to be able to ideally have it made into a book so I could leave it for the for the children, for my children and for my future generations. That was my ultimate wish at the time. Um, So for a long time, I just everything into just doing that I didn't allow myself to think about what what was going to happen at the end of it because I didn't know I didn't know whether it was going to be I liked the story I knew that my kids liked the story but I didn't know if anybody else was going to like the story Uh, and and actually that was fine with me at that point and I think that was really important for me because I put everything into just writing it Mm. without any expectations of how it was going to go at the end um and I I really loved I really loved writing it um and the more I got into writing it the more of these I I remember I would say to the children that they're not children anymore they're grown up Mm. so they they will not like me for saying that but um I would say to them it's almost like I get downloads of information like I'd 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 start another bit of the book and it was like I'd open a, a door into another world or another bit of the world and and I'd get a download of what was going to happen then. And wow. um, it was such a, a huge help for me, I think, during the 
whole ill health retirement process. That was the, the you know, one of the main things, really. Incredible. <laughs> and um, did you start off putting pen to paper, literally pen to paper? And you say about screen later on, or did it? Was it all on screen? Did you, you know? Did you then sort of? Um, I'll just say again for people who might mm. think, "Oh, I'd love to do this," but I've got no idea even yeah. where to start. You know, how did you go about it? I think I um, I probably don't, didn't go about it in the way that that you would be taught <laughs> mm-hmm. if you're if you're learning creative writing to do it um, because I've since you know connected with connected with other authors who say oh you know you do a plan you do your you know your map of everything I I didn't I didn't do that I did it how it worked for me and you know crikey all of our brains and our imaginations mm-hmm. are different and I think everybody does things very differently mm-hmm. um I did put pen to paper I think I remember initially making some sort of list of of the characters and the characters names um and it quickly went on to computer and um yeah, I I did keep I kept um, a folder in my email account of all of this. So if I I'd, I'd finish a draft or I'd finish one block of what I was writing, and I'd save that separately so that I knew where I was up to. And there was a point quite early on when I lost everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, it was very early on. I'm not sure what happened. It was it was a it was a crossover between um, uh, iPads or a crossover between computers, and it, I lost mm-hmm. everything that I'd done. And um, yeah, that was a bit devastating, to be fair. Wow. But um, yeah. but you know, I I thought well, there's I I try to look at things like there's a reason for everything. So I tried to look at it, okay, well, there's a reason for this. I can remember certain things. And actually what came out of that was was better than I'd remembered it. So wow. it all oh, turned out okay that. in the end. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> and how disciplined were you, Tracy? <laughs> well, quite disciplined. I was um I was quite lucky that my um my children were teenagers during lockdown, so very rarely got up before sort of the the early parts of the afternoon, especially before while they were, you know, the schools were shut as well, yeah, yeah. which my son son in particular absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And um he, he he says, you know, I I used to get up a lot earlier than them and I it was nice weather so I'd sit outside um in the garden with my iPad and I'd be writing and he says he always remembered he'd sort of wake up early early afternoon look out of his window and mum would be down there tapping away on 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 the iPad writing my book and he'd just call out the window can you make me some lunch (laughs) mum oh brilliant yeah we're going through that at the moment I've got a 17 year old lad and a 15 year old daughter and my lad got up today yeah. about 12 30 obviously school summer holidays at the moment so <laughs> um, yeah. yeah we got exactly that it just comes down when he's very very hungry so yeah <laughs> oh, i love it that's great and it's um so having gone when you when you've gone through it and oh. you've got to the point where you think um i need someone to read through this to to prove yeah. how did you go about doing that and um, at what point did you do that as well um, I didn't re- I didn't really think about that at all until I'd actually written the whole book. Um, wow. and I didn't let, I didn't let myself because I just wasn't really sure what, what that was going to look like that sort of going forwards with it. Um, my, um, my children's dad, he's actually, um, written a book about his police service. Um, but he'd done it 
as a family thing, you know, he'd, he'd had, he, him and his mum published it themselves and um, it was for family and close friends. So I knew that he'd done that and I, I had friends who'd self-published, which is obviously quite mm-hmm. a popular thing mm-hmm. these days. Um, and I remember just sitting back and actually I'd written those, you know, those two little words, the end. And I thought, okay, right. Wow. Well, my brain's empty and it's all on there. So what do I do now? Um, and fortunately I had some, some good friends who had published books themselves and knew, um, of other authors who'd been published, who had recommendations for companies, for editors. I I knew it would need editing. I think that that was the, the first stage really is that I knew that that it was going to need some editing. How much? How much at that stage? I didn't know because I'd gone over and over it a few times myself, and I thought I'm just going to faff around with it from now until forever. So I need to get somebody else to have a look at it. Um, and I did. I got a I got a couple of people to have a re- bit of a read of some of it, and they actually said love it. I think it's really, really good. Got lots of potential and, you know, nobody was more surprised than me really to hear that because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I didn't really know what potential it would have. So I was recommended um, to a few publishing companies along with, and it's a bit of a minefield out there really, um, that the whole horizon of publishing now is very different than it was many years ago. Um, and it, it, it is quite, can be quite confusing. Um, so I was grateful for the advice I had. I was also recommended to um, to join the Alliance of Independent Authors, who were a fantastic resource for me and really, really helped because they can they will point you in the direction of reputable publishers, you know, reputable agents, editors, um, all, all that sort of those sort of people that you're going to need to start thinking about if you do want it to be a published work mm-hmm. in some way. So um, I was actually very well recommended to Dark Frog Books, who are my publishers, by um, a friend of a friend who is is one of their published authors already, and um, also by the by the Alliance of Independent Authors. Um, they they highly recommended Dark Prog as well, so I was fairly confident with that 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 I was going to going to a publishers who who were going to give me the right advice, and um, I submitted it under um, what sort of a hybrid deal these days, which is. <laughs> Like I said, the, the horizon of publishing has changed hugely. Mm-hmm. Traditional publishing is not what it was many years ago. It's um, it's changed a lot, and if you, it's great if you get traditionally published by one of you know the big five, i.e. Macmillan, HarperCollins, um, Penguin. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, not many do, and there's loads and loads of really really good publishing companies out there. Um, a lot of them now are doing these hybrid deals because you've got the other end of the scale of people who are self-publishing, which is fantastic if you've got that level of knowledge, confidence, tech savvy, mm-hmm. all that sort of side of things that, that you need. That's brilliant. And I really admire anybody, any author who self-publishes um, because I knew from the start, I, if if I wanted to publish it in the 
you know, in the, the wider market, then I, I couldn't do that. Um, so I, I went to Dart Frog and um, they they were interested and they took it on and took me on and <laughs> and they've they've done actually they've done everything so they've done the editing they've got a fantastic editing team who've been brilliant um and yeah so I was lucky so I've, I've got it kind of all in one place mm-hmm. um with them which is is good we've got lots of things in the pipeline with it there's a website being created um looking at the audiobook production now so it's quite exciting incredible oh i love it we just rewind just a little bit um Mm. to that conversation and when they phoned you was it face to face or was it a phone call when they said actually tracy we are interested in this how did Uh, that talk me through that they're a they're a a us they're a us publishing company um Mm. And so it was Zoom. So I got uh, an email back. I'd done the whole submission and there was quite a lot that you have to put in, a little a bio about yourself as the author, um, a synopsis of the book and, and, you know, various other bits of information. And I heard back, I think, a, a couple of few days later from um, Gordon McClellan, who's the um, CEO of Dart Frog. And he said, I'm really interested in this. I'd like to talk talk through with you on a zoom so we had a zoom as as you know we, we as all, we all do we all, yeah. we all have zoom these days yeah. and um and yeah so we had a zoom call and he said um that he he was interested in it it had a, a sort of it, it, it's a ya so it's young adults primarily mm. um he said there was a I think he he said there was a vibe of sort of Lord of the Rings type of story with it, which I took as a compliment. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and um, and he said, you know, I think we can. Um, he said, I've not seen this done before like this. It's it's not a book that's got a a spiritual. It, it's sort of a spiritual side. It's not religious in any way. He said, but it's still got a a pull to the teens, to the teen kind of. Um, interests. So he said he was really interested in it. I think if it if it's got any kind of spiritual aspect, you're talking about more to, more in the way of time and space travel. Um, you know, something beyond what's beyond what we can see in the physical world here. Touch. You know, why are we here? How did we get here? Where are we going? And it's it's a very different view on that. It's mm-hmm. not one not one that that I think you'll have heard before the stage that you're at now where you've spent 17 years plus actually <laughs> downloading all of that information yeah. and um you know you when you got to the words the end mm. how did that feel really weird it was really weird as um my it felt like my head was empty of this, you know, of this story, and and which was what I'd wanted all 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 the way along. You know, I wanted to said I wanted to get it out of my head and 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 written, but it was a very surreal feeling once it was. Um, and I did I did go through it a few times myself, mm. and I found that um, I was really faffing with it so much, um, and I thought 
it's it's going to need to be looked at by a professional editing team. Um, so that was really the first stage, and that was the first stage that obviously I spoke about with with Gordon. Um, mm. Once once we sort of looked at the the contract and deciding what was going to happen with the book, um, he had some very specific ideas about marketing of the book and um, including an interactive website of the world within the book, which the publishers are busy working on at the moment. Wow. Oh, it's just so exciting. <laughs> it really is. Wow. And um, so what's next? Have you been, you know, the, the book is available. Can you tell us, in fact, I'll tell you what we'll do. If you could just talk us through the synopsis of the book and just, just tell us a bit about the story, if you're able to, that'd be fantastic. I can read the blurb. That'd be amazing. <laughs> whatever works, whatever works for you. Have the author read that. Is Otherwise, great. I might so. ramble a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Darkness Rising is obviously the first the first volume in what is planned to be a series of three um, in the in the in the series Children of the Light. So, in this one, Aurora, Aaron, and Cal are among the new generation born to the Light Workers. With the power of the universe in their souls, these children of light are the most advanced beings on earth. Summoned to the ancient realm of Valhandra, they prepare to defeat the rising darkness and bring forth the new world. Catapulted to dimensions beyond the boundaries of physical reality, Aurora, Aaron and Cal navigate their own challenges as they come to terms with their destinies, learn to use their powers and discover the mysteries of life, space, the universe and time itself. But time is running out. A deadly plague is sweeping across the earth. Darkness is creeping into the minds and bodies of humanity. Secrets and betrayals are surfacing within the lightworkers, threatening to destroy Valhandra. As the future of the world hangs in the balance, can the children of light stop the darkness rising? Incredible. I'm, cur I'm currently in talks of trying to decide whether I can actually read the audiobook myself, which I would really love to do. Yeah. Um, but it's it's actually quite challenging when you when you sit you know even reading that I, d I find it quite challenging reading it out. <laughs> I was I was in it. I was absolutely in it. So uh, you hopefully you've, it sounded all right. <laughs> it sounded great. You've got to do that, Tracy. You absolutely have. That's that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, and uh, so, what's next for you then? Do you think? <laughs> Uh, well, obviously, the next two um, books in the series. Um, but I think before that, it's it's really important for me to um, to just concentrate on this bit at the moment because, <laughs> albeit it's got to the stage now where the, the the space in the brain has been replaced by the next two books. So it's mm -hmm. it's still as busy up there as it ever was. But that's great, and I keep notes. Um, any any sort of downloads and ideas I get for the next two books, you know, they are kind of getting written on the side anyway. Mm. Um, so we're working on, obviously, as I said, the audio book. Um, I'm, I'm uh, looking at, like I said, whether I read that or get somebody to read it for me. Um, the with with regards to the website um which as i said is is hoping is going to look like sort of an interactive world that you will enter meet the characters see the areas of the world um and i've got an artist at the moment who is um 
creating illustrations of the fantasy characters from the descriptions in my book, which is also quite a weird process, I think. It's it's quite strange seeing these characters as they're being um, illustrated and drawn because they've only ever lived in my head and in the yeah. descriptions. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's almost like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're real. You know, that's yeah. what's been an image in your in your mind is actually um, for all yeah. to see. So that's, yeah. that's yeah. surreal. Yes. Um, well, honestly, it's just such a great story, hugely <laughs> inspirational, and I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to you for your time, Tracy. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant having you here. And um, um, if people want to buy the book, where can they um, where can they buy it? They can buy it on Amazon um, in this country. It's also available through Barnes and Noble, um, Waterstones online at the moment. Um, it's on Apple Books, I believe, as an ebook, and on Kindle as an ebook. So, in in the UK, Amazon's your your easiest um, purchase. Yeah, sure. So it's called Darkness Rising, and it's part of a series called Children of the Light. Yes, fantastic. <laughs> okay, we'll put a link um, within the show notes as well, so people can um, can purchase it through the link in the uh, in thank show notes you as well. So uh, and um, thank you. And obviously, we've said about uh, you know within the, the Blue Light Leavers group as well, and, uh, and the academy and stuff like that. So be this amazing story, it really is. And I'm just you know so pleased that that something that you've worked so hard on for so long has really come to fruition. It's a hugely inspirational story. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And really, really pleased no, to be on here. No, not at all. No, it's great. And uh, if people want to connect uh, with you, Tracy, what's the best way of doing that? Uh, they can do it via, um, I've got all the pages on Facebook, um, Instagram, and I am just venturing into the world of TikTok, but um, that's, that's that's rather scary, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I tried that. On the scary side. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think I think Facebook and Instagram are the easiest ways. Okay. And it's uh, Tracy Earl author? Yes, Tracy Earl author for both of them. Brilliant. Yeah, great stuff. Okay, lovely. Thank yeah. you so much for your time. Great chatting with you, and uh, I'm really Thank excited. Uh, and we'll we'll definitely catch up again as uh, as the yeah. other editions uh, come out of the series. That'd be amazing. Oh, thanks so much, Andy. No problem. Thanks, Tracy. Cheers. What an incredible story. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and uh, amazingly inspirational and uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to have to get a copy of that. And I know my daughter over in Oz will, will absolutely love this book. Um, so if you like what you've heard, then uh, please leave a review. We have had tens of thousands of downloads and only 71 reviews. So if you could please leave a review, even if it's just a case of clicking on five stars, that'd be amazing because it really helps to get the podcast noticed. If you want any more help support with your transition to uh, to careers outside of policing, or if you're just not sure, you know what you want to do, whether it's actually staying within policing or moving on, then um, just get in touch and get in touch with us through the Blue Light Leavers website, bluelightleavers.com, and uh, you can contact us there, and we'll be happy to help. Hope all's good with you. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, it makes a huge difference. It really does. And uh, you know, if it wasn't for you listening, I wouldn't be doing this. So thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye for now.